We are happy to be here. And uh, not only just to be here in the assembly, but to cast our lots with the congregation here. Kind of a new chapter in our lives, but we're excited to be here and uh, known a lot of people here for a long time and some people just known for a short period of time, but we are definitely happy and uh, very content for the occasion, the opportunity uh, here this morning and uh, for all blessings that God has blessed us with. We encourage you to get your Bibles, follow along. We'll be studying here from the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, the story of the rich fool. Here from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And I always encourage people to follow along. If you have questions, uh, disagreements, well, we're here just to study. Uh, you know, sometimes I study with people, and for me it's always a win-win situation. Maybe people that you disagree with, because if what uh, the people you talk with if they have the truth and they help me know the truth, well, hey, I'm a winner. And if what uh, I'm trying to teach is the truth and they learn the truth, hey, I'm still a winner. So it's always a win-win situation uh, in the study of the Word of God because if you're just seeking for divine truth, hey, you, you have nothing to worry about. That's all that we're trying to do. Here in the book of Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, I want to begin by just reading the account. It says, And one of the company, or the multitude, said unto him, Master, teacher, uh, speak to my brother that he will divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my goods? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and will, and will build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So that's our study here is to look at this text here in Luke chapter 12. We begin with by talking about just the background, and that is there was a problem over an inheritance. Now, not always are there problems over an inheritance. When Kathy's parents passed away, we didn't have any problem with the inheritance and solving that. When my parents passed away, I had one brother that... There was maybe, he might cause some problems, but my sister, she was the uh, executrix, but it turned out there was no problem over that. But sometimes there are big problems over inheritance, a lot of squabbles and fighting, which says that really, you know, the Bible hasn't changed. And, of course, people haven't changed either. And as there was a problem in the first century, as Jesus tells the story, or is told, the story is told here, of this man that comes and talks about, you know, there's a problem between him and his brother about an inheritance. Well, you know, times haven't changed, because even in 2017, sometimes there are problems over inheritance. And Jesus, of course, is going to talk about that because the man says, Hey, you know, come and talk to my brother about the division of, uh, you know, the, uh, of the inheritance here. But really, the root problem wasn't a matter of justice or fairness or doing what was right. Really, the root problem Jesus perceived was covetousness because that's what he says. 
After saying, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? He says, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, covetousness is simply defined of this inordinate desire of I want. It's like I want, I want, I want, I want. You know, I want more, I want more of this, I want more of that, I want, I want these things, I want those things. You know, I want, I want, I want, I want. That's the, uh, the concept of covetousness. This inordinate uh, desire of wanting more. And so Jesus says, really the root problem here with this man and his brother, as he is addressing the situation, is the problem of covetousness. And so he talks about in the text here, that he gives exhortation. He says, take heed and beware. And when you see a take heed or the word beware, well, that means there's a real danger. Now, like if you go out in the parking lot and you see that yellow tape that says caution, beware, hey, take care out there. Well, wait a minute, there's no yellow tape out there. Or if I said, beware of the high power lines that are laying out in the parking lot. It's like, well, wait a minute, there's no high power lines laying out in the parking lot. I mean, that would, that would be nonsensical. It would be nonsensical to put up yellow tape, you know, out there uh, somewhere in the parking lot. Why? Because there's no real dangers like that. There's no, like, big hole dug. There's no power lines laying around. But if there are power lines, if there's a big hole that is dug and you put up the yellow tape and it says, caution or beware... It's not put up there for nothing. It's not put up there for decoration. It's put up there because there's a danger. And when we read in the Scriptures a beware of covetousness, hey, that's like flashing lights. It's like neon lights flashing, telling us those yellow caution lights telling us, hey, beware, be on guard, take heed about covetousness because that is a problem that can affect all of us. We live in a land of plenty. Traveling to some other countries you realize how much we have in the United States of America. And it is a real danger, the problem of covetousness. For he goes on to say there in verse 15, For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Life is not about how much you have, how many neat toys you have, how many trinkets you have, how much jewelry you own. How many cars or vehicles that you possess? How many acres of land that you have to your name? You see, life is not what you have. It is about who we are. It's about character. It's about being servants of God. about being somebody. Not just having a bunch of stuff. But being a person of character. A God-fearing Man or woman, young man or young woman, to serve the Lord, that's really what life is all about. It's not how many possessions you have, because when it comes to possessions, one thing for sure, we leave them all behind. We take nothing with us. I've uh, participated in a lot of funerals in my lifetime, and I have never seen in the participation, nor in the visitation at a funeral or a funeral procession, you see a hearse with like a U-Haul attached to the back. It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. It's kind of like the fellow one time, he, he wanted to be buried in his Cadillac. So they got a back hole and they dug this gigantic hole and they put the Cadillac down in the, in the hole in the ground. And one of the grave diggers, after the funeral service, he's looking down, he says... 
He said, man, that's living. I don't think so. You see, you take, we come with nothing and we leave with nothing. That's what the Bible exhorts. So it's not about how much stuff we have, because when it comes to all our stuff, we're going to leave it all behind when it comes to physical possessions. So what really is important is character of who we are, to be men and women of character, to be servants of God, to be followers of God, to be, to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now that is what is critically important in life, is to be a follower of God. And then Jesus tells the story here. He talks about this fellow who has a tremendous ego. Ego has to do with self. has to do with who we are, a psyche inside. And in the story, he talks about this guy that's got a tremendous ego complex. And how do we know that? Because if you look in the story, 11 times the word I or my is used in the text. Look at it again. There in verse 17, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul that has much goods later for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. See, he was all kind of wrapped up in himself, in his own little life, and in his own activities of what he was doing. I mean, he, he was all about himself, of me, myself, and I. You see, that's really pretty sad when all we have is ourself and our stuff. And that was the case in this fellow here that Jesus talks about here. You know, when we look at this fellow thinking about, you know, all my goods and my stuff and my fruits, etc., he forgot about others. When he had a bumper crop and he said, well, you know, what shall I do? I mean, do you think maybe there might be somebody that you could share some of these abundant blessings that you have with others? Maybe some needy. You know, Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. Maybe there might be somebody. Maybe some young family that's struggling with kids that could use maybe a little helping hand or just a little bonus. Maybe some orphan somewhere. Maybe some poor widow. I mean, could you think about anybody or anything else or, or some cause greater than yourself that you could maybe share your blessings with? Hmm. He seemed to forget other people. And he seemed to forget that he was simply a steward of God's blessings. Over there in uh, Psalm 24, in the 24th Psalm there, notice there in Psalm 24 and in verse 1, the psalmist affirms, the earth is the Lord's, the earth is Jehovah's, Yahweh, and the fullness thereof, and the world and all that are therein. Everything ultimately really belongs to God. We're simply stewards, that is, one who takes care of the possessions of another. So God, he blesses us with blessings, and do we look as being a steward of God's blessings? A steward of what God has entrusted us with, that somehow, some way that we could use for the furtherance of the kingdom of God? I mean, do we just sort of wrap up in ourselves and just think about me, myself, and I, and, and that's it? I mean, couldn't we remember other folks? Couldn't we remember about being a steward of God's blessings that somehow that we could give and share in the work of the Lord? It seems like this fellow sort of missed out on that. As we look at this fellow, you know, you've got to learn that stuff 
doesn't satisfy the soul. Things don't satisfy the inward man. You can't satisfy the thirst of the soul with outward things. You can't satisfy the hunger. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's not going to be satisfied by stuff, by things, by possessions, by houses, by, by cars, by trips, or whatever it might be. You don't satisfy the inward man with uh, outward things. <clears throat> Notice as he says there in... Uh, uh, as he says there in verse uh, 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, as much goods laid up for many years, take it take easy, drink and be merry. Well, wait, wait a minute. You're not going to satisfy the soul with physical things. It doesn't happen. Things don't satisfy. You know, sometimes we, 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 we live by kind of like this motto. We squander our health in search of wealth. We toil, we sweat, we save. And then we squander our wealth in search of health and only find the grave. And that sometimes represents us because it's real easy to kind of get blinded by stuff and things and material possessions. I was talking with Luke about straightening up his house where, you know, where they move. And it's like, you know, part of it's stored. And, you know, when you move, you, you, you realize how much stuff you have when you have to move all those, those things and material possessions. But life isn't about physical things. I know there's nothing wrong with physical things and having a house and things and, and all that. There's not saying that it's wrong, intrinsically wrong. The problem is that it can kind of kind of cloud. And sometimes it, we, we, we begin to think, well, that somehow, the, you know, if I, if I just had. I mean, sometimes people think that away uh, physically, that, well, if I just had, and, and they'll just name something, you know, I, I'd be happy. If you cannot learn happiness in the position and the place that you are, you'll, you'll never learn happiness. You know, if I, if I just had, and we name, you know, if I just had this job, well, we get that job, but then we get a job, and then we're not happy. I mean, for a while, we were just sort of gleeful, and, and we're kind of stepping high when we get that job, but then after a while, that sort of wears out. It's kind of like going to one of the amusement parks and, and just like kids, they get on these roller coasters and like, and they get all, oh boy, that was great. It's like, you mean, let's do it again. Do it again. It's, it's so temporary in the satisfaction. And that's the way things are. They just satisfy for a, a period of time for the, for the flesh. But Jesus, of course, and God and the things of God satisfies the inner man and that, of course, should be our main focus is that we think about spiritual matters. There are texts that talk about that. When you study the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like a journal of a man named Solomon who was trying to find out what's the meaning of life. Well, I mean, what's life all about? What, what, what should life be? And he described some of his journey because he had the means to, I mean, really do things big time. And he described some of that. Look, look there in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says in verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens of orchards and planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. And I made me pools of water to water therewith and, and the wood that, that, uh, comes, uh, brings forth, uh, that brings forth trees. And so, I mean, here's a fellow that had a lot of money. And so he builds this big house or houses, plural. You're going to have a mountain villa. You're going to have a seaside uh, house. I mean, he could make any kind, different types of, any kind of house that you'd want to dream of. And he would plant gardens and vineyards and not just, you know, plant your little grapevine. I mean, I mean, do it big time. 
And so he describes doing all these things. He says, I got me servants and maidens. I mean, when you begin to have a lot of, a lot of things, you need people to help you. It becomes overwhelming. So he got him, he got him servants. He got him maidens. I had servants born in my house, so he had them for a long time. And I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and precious treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments and that of all sorts. I was great and increased more than all were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained in me. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. My heart rejoiced in all my labor. This was my portion of all my labor. So if he saw something, he bought it. If he liked it and he couldn't buy it, he'd get somebody to make it for him. I mean, he, this guy was well-to-do, and he lived to the fullness when it comes to stuff and things. He talks about having men singers and women singers and musicians. You know, sometimes we get carried away with about, oh boy, I got these new speakers, and man, the sound sounds great. I mean, Solomon had it, what, he had it better. I mean, he had the musicians right there on hand to listen to them live perform for him. And he talks about all these things here in the book of Ecclesiastes. But notice verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and all the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. And kind of the, kind of the course of the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. <clears throat> because when we seek after and pursue after stuff or things or education, a job, a career, a vacation, uh, tourism, whatever it might be, and we go to the fullest degree that could possibly go at the end of the day, it's all empty. It's vanity. The word vanity means empty. It doesn't satisfy the human mind. It doesn't satisfy the heart. It doesn't satisfy the soul. You see, things don't satisfy. We are so slow to learn that lesson. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he does, in the midst, talk about the proper use of material things. He says uh, uh, there in the latter part of chapter 5, but notice there as he reasons there in verse 10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. And he that loveth abundance with increase, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is thereof to the owners thereof, saving the beholder of them with their eyes? Kind of like clothes. You see a dress you really like. So you buy that dress. And then you see a different dress. Well, I really like that dress. And you see this other outfit. And, well, I really like that outfit. And you see a suit or you see jeans or whatever it might be with clothes. Well, how many clothes can you wear at once? Like one change at a time. It's like automobiles. Oh, I like this automobile. So you get this classic car, and then you get this new car, and you get a sports car, and you get a truck, and you get this, and, well, you might have five cars. Well, how many can you drive at any one time? You can only drive one at a time. And you get food. Oh, you get this food, and you get the freezer, and you get the refrigerator stuff with the food that you like the best. Well, how much can you eat at one time? Well, one meal at a time. And that's what, that's what the wise man is trying to say, that, that it's kind of like drinking salt water. When you're really thirsty, it's like, okay, it wets the whistle, but you know, but then at the end, at the end of the day, you say, well, I'm, I'm more thirsty. You're not going to satisfy thirst with drinking salt water. It's going to make you more thirsty. And that's the way it is spiritually, that, that, you know, we have this inward hunger, and we think that on the outside, and things and stuff that we can satisfy by possessions and material things, no, it doesn't happen. He says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. 
But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Because we're thinking about, well, how to get more. You know, we get, but then we're thinking about how to get more, so we can't sleep at night. Or then we're worried about what we have, that somebody's going to steal it or break in or tear it up or, or take it away, so we lose sleep. He says, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, uh, namely, uh, that riches kept for, uh, for the owners thereof to their own hurt. Sometimes we grab a hold of stuff and we just won't let it go, e- even, even to our own destruction. Kind of like an illustration I heard one time about how they capture monkeys in Borneo. This island out in the Pacific. They get a coconut and they, they, they make a hole so big. And they have this coconut attached to some cable or chain or string or something so the monkey can't walk away with it. But they bore this hole and they put rice in there. Well, they go away and the monkeys just sort of come in and they reach in that hole and they get a big handful of rice. Well, when, when you get a big handful, it's like, well, the hand don't come out. You have to let go of the rice and then pull your hand out. But the monkey's got his handful of rice. And here comes somebody walking. Well, the monkey's getting all excited and says, let the rice go. Pull your hand out and go for it. But no, the monkey sits there and holds on to that rice to its own capture. And that's kind of the way we are. You know, we, we get a big handful in this world and there's no way we're going to let it go even to our own salvation. Even even if it meant destruction or to our own hurt, well, we just keep holding on to it. There comes a time that you learn you got to let things go. You can't hold on to it with a tight fist as if it's always going to be there. Uh, when it comes to riches, they are fleeting. They can be here today and gone tomorrow. And that's why we don't put our confidence in those types of things, but put our confidence in the Lord. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul really describes what is important. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, <clears throat> verse 18, excuse me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul says, For, we, for while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When it comes to houses, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to dollar bills, when it comes to gold and silver, when it comes to clothes, when it comes to uh, high-definition television, when it comes to smartphones, when it comes to trucks and cars and lands. Yeah, we see all those things, but Paul identifies that they're all temporal. They can be here today and gone tomorrow. They're temporary. You know, moth and rust doth corrupt. You know, thieves can break through and steal. But the things that are not seen, things like the soul, things like Jesus, God, the inward man, the promises of the gospel. Yeah, we, we have to see those by faith. Those are the unseen things, and those are the things that are eternal. A home in heaven, that's something that's eternal, that's everlasting, and that is what we need to long for. As Jesus talked about there in Matthew chapter 6, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth. He says, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. <clears throat> he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures upon uh, treasures in heaven, where uh, neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A treasure. Did Jesus say there are treasures on earth? Yeah, he says there are treasures on earth. What he says, don't put emphasis upon the treasures of earth. Well, well because why? Well, because they're temporary. They're fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. And so it is. I mean, we could work and dream and plan out this, this house that we want to build. And we build our dream house and, and maybe we're gone somewhere and something goes haywire and the house burns down the time we get back. Destroyed. 
It's like that. It's temporary. That's the way life is. Trying to get this shiny car that you've wanted. And next thing you know, you have an accident or somebody else wrecks into you. It just shows it's temporary. Or a thief can steal it, as Jesus talks about. And so things don't satisfy the inward man. And that's what Jesus is trying to emphasize. That it is, of course, the spiritual thing. And we look at this fellow that he made a lot of preparations. He made a lot of preparations because here he had these bumper crops, and so he begins thinking about, you know, tearing down his barn, building bigger barns, you know, preparing for the future, for many years to come. You know, he was going to retire early, going to kick back, going to take it easy. He's got all this, all these goods stored up, and and the value of them. He's going to be able to take care of himself, and and uh, hey, he made all these preparations for the here and now. And we do that. We make all kinds of preparations for the here and now. You know, we try to eat right. Maybe we try to exercise. We go to the doctor to get checkups. And we try to exercise, etc. Maybe take vitamins. But you know, ultimately our bodies break down and we wear out and we're going to die. You know, we can do all those things to try to have good health. But ultimately, you know, it ultimately is going to break down. You know, we buy insurance. We buy insurance for our house. We buy insurance for our car. We buy insurance uh, for our health. We buy health insurance. We buy life insurance. We buy uh, disability insurance. You know, we try uh, trying to always prepare for the future. We're thinking about the future. You know, we prepare in our schooling. You know, work real hard, get good grades, try to get good scores on the ACT or the SAT, and so you can get uh, your college and 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 get a good job and have a career and save for uh, retirement and uh, you know get married, have kids, and and we make all kinds of preparations. And this fellow made preparations, but he forgot to make preparations for eternity. He didn't prepare for his soul. He didn't prepare for the inward man. Nothing wrong with going to school. Nothing wrong with getting an education. Nothing wrong with getting a degree. Nothing wrong with getting a good job. Nothing wrong with you know saving for a retirement. Nothing wrong with getting married, having kids, etc. Nothing wrong with any of these things. They're not intrinsically wrong. Where the wrong comes is where we forget our soul. We forget the inward man. We don't think about our inward man and and our relationship before God, and, and being right, and, and uh, living right in God's sight. That, now that, that creates a problem, a tremendous problem for us. I like the text in Amos chapter 4. Contextually, Amos chapter 4, the language actually has uh, application to the coming of the Assyrians to carry away the people into captivity. But the Assyrians was the, you know, the, the chastening rod of Jehovah. That was being brought upon the people. But, but the language, of course, is something for us to think about when it comes to eternity. In Amos chapter 4, down in number 12, Therefore thus say, uh, thus will I do unto, unto you, O Israel, because I will do this unto you, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. So let's transfer that to eternity, to the day of judgment. Prepare to meet thy God. Yeah, maybe we make preparations for our health and and uh, uh, in different ways. And yeah, maybe we make preparations for death and uh, of a funeral and, and burial. And we make preparations for all the physical things, but we don't prepare for eternity. We are going to stand before the Lord in the day of judgment regardless, whether we believe it or we, we reject it. Whether we scoff at it, whether we make fun of it, we will stand before the Lord in the day of judgment. 
Hebrews 9, number 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 27. Those are appointments we can't get around. We can't say, well, you know, I've been thinking about that old death, so I think I'm just going to file for exemption for that. And the day of judgment, well, I think I'll just skip on that. It really doesn't sound all that fun. Well, I'll skip on that either. We will die and we will face the Lord in judgment. And so the thing is, we'll just prepare. Just prepare for eternity. I mean, just come eyeball to eyeball with eternity and my standing before God. I remember growing up, I, I didn't go to church anywhere growing up except a couple of times. Went once to the Baptist church with a friend when I was in the sixth grade. High school, I went to, I went to the Christian church at a Christmas play. I guess I was kind of going to church at a religious service. That was it. I was out of high school, but it always bothered me. It was always, always kind of a bug, bug me when when religion was talked about or God was talked about because I believe that there was a God. I believe the Bible was was, was you know where the answers were, but I, I never really studied the Bible. It's just so you just feel uncomfortable about it. And finally, one day, like, hey, I need to read it for myself. I need to begin studying it for myself. So that's what I did. Begin reading and and just pray that God would show me. And by the, His divine providence, I came in contact with the truth, which is which is an interesting story in and of itself. But but God is there to help us if we want to know what's right. And when you begin really thinking about your soul, you think, well, now that's really what is most important, because it is. It's not our physical uh, man and the outer man. Yeah, we we prepare and yeah, we think about and yeah, the physical man we have necessity of food and clothes. Yeah, I understand that. But really, what is most important is our spiritual man. Prepare for our our, our spiritual life. You see, we talk about this rich fool. There's one thing he forgot. He forgot about that. You see, he, he he had bumper crops, and, and he was thinking about kind of in the in the long run how he had uh, had it all planned out. You know, he had saved up so much money, and and you know investments and what have you, and and the return, and how he had much goods later for many years. He could kick back, take it easy. I mean, he felt like he had a lease on life. That's an idiomatic phrase. A lease on life. Well, what that means is like. Say, for instance, if you go to college, and maybe if you're not staying in the dorm, you're, you're going to rent an apartment. Well, you kind of like to get a, a lease, because the lease says that it is guaranteed that you can rent this place for so many months. Because you don't want to be part of the way through school, and the owner says, hey, get out. You, you want to have a lease to say, well, I'm guaranteed for the next nine months, I'm going to have a place to stay while I'm in school. Kind of the idea of a lease. It could be a year, it could be so many months, it could be two years, whatever. And the lease guarantees that you get you get to continue to 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 rent that place. Well, sometimes we get thinking that we have a a lease on life. You know, the psalmist talks about that it could be you know three score that is sixty years or three score plus ten that is seventy years or maybe eighty average. Women statistically are in the upper 70s, and men are like uh, 75 years. That's the statistical average here in the United States for men and women. But that's not a guarantee. But when you when you talk about maybe 70, 80 years that we might live, some go beyond, some die before. That that's just average. 
Nobody has a lease on life that somehow God says, okay, you've got 80 years. You've got 75 years. That That's not a guarantee. That may be the average, but that's not a guarantee for anybody. Nobody has a lease on life. And this fella, he thought he had a lease on life. I mean, he just looked down the stream of time and how much he had accumulated and how many years that it, for many years that he was going to be taken care of and he could take back, uh, kick back and take it easy. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, in the first temptation there, <clears throat> with Eve as described in Genesis chapter 3, you remember the story that, that Satan comes in the form of the serpent there and he's kind of chatting with the woman and anyway trying to entice her to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he begins by casting doubts. Hath God said, well, duh, yeah, God did say it. There's no doubt that God said it. But he's casting doubts and he's sitting there munching on the forbidden fruit, it appears, and she sees that it's good for food. And he tells the lie in verse 4, And the serpent said unto the, unto the woman, You shall not surely die. In chapter 2, God said, You shall surely die. Satan adds one little word, changes it, total opposite. You shall not surely die. I don't think, I don't think Satan today is trying to tell anybody today, Well, you're not going to die. Yeah, who would believe that? How many cemeteries do we pass up and down the road? How many relatives have passed away? He's Satan, he's not trying to convince us that we're not going to die. His twist, I take it, is that you shall not die so soon. You're not going to die any time near this time. It's kind of on down the line. He does, he's not going to try to convince us like he tried to convince E. Well, you shall not surely die. Because Eve had not seen anybody die. Oh, he's trying to convince us today, well, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Don't worry about it. You've got plenty of time. That's the twist that Satan puts upon us. Yeah, you sure you're going to die. I mean, why, why are we trying to convince us we're not going to die when experience tells us over and over again people die? Time to time. Somebody's announced that's passed away. Time from time, we go to the funeral. Time to time, we go to a funeral somewhere. Yeah, Satan's not going to try to convince us, you shall not surely die. Well, you shall not surely die so soon. That's kind of the twist he puts. See, the truth of the matter is, we could die at any time. In the book of uh, Proverbs chapter 27, <clears throat> in Proverbs chapter 27, it says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for thou dost not know what the morrow will bring forth. We can't, well, I'm going to do this next month, or I'm going to do this next year, I'm going to do this next week. Well, maybe we won't have next year. Maybe we won't have next week. Maybe we won't even have tomorrow. That's a possibility. In the book of James, chapter 4, in James, chapter 4, <clears throat> James touches on this. He says in verse 13, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life is like a vapor, James says. That is the absolute truth. You know, sometimes when, when people who preach talk about death and dying, I think folks kind of sort of kind of roll their eyes a little bit and think, ah, that's a bunch of preacher talk. It's not just preacher talk. 
That's Bible talk. That's the reality of life. That nobody is promised tomorrow. The other day, there was an accident over on 150 near Stanford, and there was a little boy that died, and there was a little six-year-old infant that had severe injuries. It died also. A little fella died. You see, you can be an infant, you can be a toddler, you can be an adolescent, you can be a young man, a young woman, you can be in your 30s or 40s, 50s, whatever. You see, it makes no difference. Life is but a vapor. It is like something's cooking on the stove and you go and you lift up that lid and you know all that steam billows up. Well, you can see the steam. Yeah, definitely. You can see that steam. What happened? A little time. Well, it just sort of disappeared. And that's what James is saying. You know, life is like that. Yeah, you can see it. It's here. It's now. And then, boom, something happens. An accident happens. Something's happening inside. An aneurysm burst. You have a severe heart attack. A blood clot gets in the artery of, of one of your uh, arteries of your lung and bam, you go in the heart attack and you die. We don't know what life holds. And that's why we are exhorted today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. It is today because we have today. We're not promised tomorrow, but we have today. And so we exhort it to make our life right. Prepare to meet thy God. We're all going to step before and step into eternity someday. We don't know whether that step will happen today or whether it will happen tomorrow. I want to close with a 21st century version of the parable. I actually got this about uh, 33 years ago, so I sort of retyped it with a little bit the lingo of more today of the modern version of Luke 12. It goes like this. The labor union of a certain company went on strike for higher wages. After a few weeks of bargaining, the company agreed to give all of its employees a $2 an hour uh, wage increase, more medical benefits, more vacation time, and paid absences, and a larger retirement package. In addition to this, the company offered matching funds in stock purchases and profit sharing, the discussion to a four-day work week and 25 years and out retirement plan. A certain employee who was a member of the labor union went home to his wife and announced the newly acquired wage package. Together they considered this new wage package and said, what shall we do? We have no more room in this house for new furniture or a third car. They thought within themselves saying, this we will do. We will sell our present dwelling for a nice profit and build a a new larger house. Then we will place all our new furniture, our new drapes, our new 4K ultra high definition TVs with DVR and a four car garage. And there we will put our new SUVs. And we will say to our souls, souls, you have a nice place with nice furnaces in which to live for many years. Take thine ease, eat grilled steak, potato salad, drink Diet Coke and be merry. But God said unto them, you fools, this night your souls will be required of you. Then who shall this house be? And who will watch your 4K ultra high definition TV and use your DVR? And who will drive your new uh, SUVs and park them in your new four car garage? And who will set on all your new furniture? And who will eat your grilled steaks, potatoes and salads? And who will drink your Diet Colas, Diet Cokes? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Kind of a modern day version of Luke 12. Yeah, we're going to step into eternity someday. And we don't know whether that day will be today or whether it will be many years from now. 
But why take a chance? Just make your life right. Prepare to meet thy God. God has a scheme of redemption. He has a plan. His plan is that Jesus came and died on the cross. And we hear about this message. And upon hearing about this message of Jesus dying on the cross, we're like, hey, this is it. Hey, here's the solution. Here's the solution for what I need on the inside is to hear this good news. Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But then we've got to believe this message about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, about the power of His blood to forgive. And if we believe that message with all our hearts, we can be saved. That's what uh, the jailer was told. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then we've got to repent. Now, that's, going to be the, that's going to be the hard command in coming to God. Because that's going to involve a change of life, a change of heart, a change of mind. And that's difficult. People don't like to change. But it is the command. And we need to leave the ways of sin. Confess Jesus that, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You, you can confess your faith before men here this morning. And then to be immersed for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 2 and verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You could do that even this morning. Come up out of that watery grave. Grow in the grace and knowledge. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, Grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And just keep being faithful and keep serving the Lord. Keep things and priorities straight. That is the end man. That's what's most important. And it is possible... It is inevitable, but it's possible as a child of God that we can err. And if we do err as a child of God, come back through repentance and prayer. Just like the early Christians that got off track, yeah, they came confessing their deeds and, and made things right. We're going to sing this, in, this song to your encouragement. If there's one here, even this morning, heaven's invitation is open to you. You are the one that has to respond. It's like we are talking about in the class downstairs. The proverbial saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You know, we, we, we help people, we try to show people, we try to explain, encourage people, do the right thing. But when it comes to obeying the gospel, you have to do that yourself. If you're here and you're subject to the invitation, you need to respond in any way. You come and let us know why together as we stand and as we sing.